All right. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Turn with me in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter one. We'll be looking at a couple passages today. First one being Second Peter. All right. Today is January 1st, year 2012. How many, who knows how long it takes for the next January 1st to come around? It's in about seven years. Is that right? Seven years? Well, I don't know how it works with all the leap years and stuff, so I was just asking. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember a Sunday New Year's in a while, but uh, today is special. You know, it, it really, God's marking it, saying it's beginning. With the first day of the new year, you guys are stepping into a new season. And I've been preaching that 2012 for this house is going to be a year of increase. And that word, since I, that's been on my heart and I've been sharing it with different people, that word's been tested. You know, there's different things that have come to test that word, different shakings that have made me wonder if I heard correctly from God or not. But through that testing, God has been affirming and confirming that indeed this is the year of increase for us. And so even yesterday I was speaking with, video chatting with Pastor Benjamin. And he began to just share with me uh, some prophetic words that God started putting on his heart. And it was just incredibly encouraging. Uh, the analogies he was getting from Scripture was just powerful. It was just like, I can't share them because they're, you know, they're, you know I need to learn how to keep secrets with God. You know? um, but man, it gets me really revved up and excited. And we are, we are entering into a great year. It's going to be the most amazing year it has ever been for our church. So I want to encourage the Busan team, don't trust what you see in the natural. Just continue to believe. As you continue to believe, you will birth the very thing you're believing for. People at the campus of Itaewon, I want to also encourage you, do not trust in the natural what you see. It's only temporary. Because God is bringing a shift and a great increase in the Itaewon campus. And here at Hillside, God is already bringing increments of increase. And I'm thankful that God has brought increments of increase for us in these last three years. Because too quick of an increase in numbers would have really diluted what God was trying to establish in us. You know what I mean? When too many new people come, what happens? You know, I remember back in the day when I was growing up in Philadelphia, right? Every time a new Korean kid came to school and he would have these weird clothes on, it always looked like nebok. It looks like he's wearing nebok on the outside. And, you know, we call him a fob, fresh off the boat, and we make fun of him, you know, and things like that. Um... Wait, oh no, wait. Okay, let me throw out the analogy. That don't make no sense, okay. 
Sorry, 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 sorry. When there's too many people that come into the house too quickly, what ends up happening is we try to cater to the new people. You know, we try to cater to them as if the church exists. It's like a consumer-driven ministry. And when churches get much larger, they do have a seeker-sensitive element that I think that we need to learn how to appreciate. That's a thing done in wisdom. But when the entire ministry turns into a seeker-sensitive ministry, then that really can dilute a lot of things in the Word of God. It can dilute discipleship. It can dilute Christian maturity. Uh, it can dilute a lot of different things. So uh, I'm thankful that our increase has been coming in increments. But as God has established us and rooted us strong in His teachings and His Word, in uh, new leadership structure and uh, the leaders here, I mean, we have right now 137 leaders uh, 170-something members, and then we have another maybe 30 members that are going to be joining us today as they've completed their five weeks of connection calls. Uh, we're going to have about 200 formal members with our church and 120-something leaders, 130-something leaders. That's, that's a, we've come a long way. And now that God has established that firmly, he's saying, Get ready for the increase. Get ready for the increase. And I believe that we are tempted at this hour to doubt whether we're ready for this. We might even have become complacent. I like the things the way it is. Why can't New Philly be the way it is for another 10 years? And that, my friend... Is the mentality of the third servant in the parable of talents. If you want to take what we got here and bury it and preserve it and keep it the way it is, then you have a mentality that requires absolutely no faith. You have a vision that requires not God. For us to increase, for us to grow, for us to take what we have and multiply it, for us to prosper, uh, we need to have an expectation that we are ready for this. We need to have a faith that this is what God wants. We need to have a faith that this is important, that we grow right now, because it's going to position us for a future hour where we're going to be in places where we can influence the city and the nation. God has taken us into the year of increase. Now, uh, as we begin, I want to strengthen something here today. And so we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 5 through 9. Verse 5 through 9. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. 
Okay, I'm going to stop right there. If you read verse 5, it says, Peter says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with the following qualities. He says, Take your knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is very important. We learned on Friday the power of the gospel. Just the basic gospel is very powerful, right? But take that knowledge that you have of Jesus Christ, take that Christian faith, and make every effort to supplement it with these qualities. How many qualities are listed here? Let's count them. One, virtue. In the NASB, it says moral excellence. Second, knowledge. That's why we need to study the Bible. That's why we need to keep reading the Bible. We need to read the Bible systematically. When you do your quiet times, none of this any, many, many, mo. It's got to be a systematic reading of Scripture so that you read through portions of Scripture you normally don't like to read. You got to get through the whole thing. Genealogies included, the law included, everything. We need to study the Word of God. Third is self-control. That's why I think things like accountability is very important. It helps us to increase in self-control. Fourth is steadfastness. In the NASB, it says perseverance. Fifth is godliness. Sixth is brotherly affection. And seventh is love. Peter says, if you lack these qualities in your faith, then you are so nearsighted that you are blind. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody that's so nearsighted that they're practically blind? All right. I mean, if they put on their glasses, I mean, their eyes looks like you're looking at their eyeballs through a microscope. You know, all you see is like their eyeballs. And every time they blink, like, that's all you see is their because their glasses are so, so thick. Normally, people who have glasses that thick, they get contacts, right? Because you can't can't tell there. But if you ever go home and you visit and you have a sleepover or something like that, or you go to a retreat and they have to put on them glasses, the first time you see your friend wearing them thick glasses, thick Coke bottle glasses, right? And if you want to play a trick and you hide those glasses, they can't see. They're so nearsighted that they're practically blind. You know, I don't mean to uh, expose my mom, but my mom has some bad eyesight. I mean, she her glasses were so thick. And then one day we heard about the the new technology that thin makes the glasses thinner. And so we were like, yeah, let's pay $300 extra and get the, the lenses thinner. She went and she got it thinned out like three times. And it was still like super thick. She was like a negative like 11 or something, man. She was, man, when she didn't have her glasses on or she didn't have contacts on, she was like blind. Peter says that when you lack possessing these qualities in increasing measure throughout your Christian life, you're like a Christian. All you see is what's in front of you. You're so nearsighted. That you have no perspective of what God is doing around you, in the lives of others around you, in the city around you, in the world around you. When you watch the news, you have no idea what God's doing there. All you see is what's in front of you. 
nearsighted that you're pretty much blind. You know, if you ever meet a Christian like that, do me a favor. Don't get discipled by them. Right? If a blind person's leading the blind, you know, it's not a, it's not a smart thing. Because I think the Bible says that both will fall into a pit or something like that, right? Yeah. You, you, if you find somebody that is not increasing in these seven qualities, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, do me a favor. Don't, don't get discipled by them because they're very nearsighted. And there are so many Christian teachers, pastors, leaders that I meet, and they're so nearsighted. And we need to understand that the Word of God is teaching us that we need to possess all seven of these qualities in increasing measure. Now, we should be able to, uh, if we assess how you are doing in these qualities, we should be able to check off each year you increased from last year. Let me ask you right now. Moral excellence, virtue. Have you increased in virtue from last year? For those who came out of your sinful lifestyle, that's an easy answer. But, you know, once you're out of that lifestyle and you start growing and you're not doing all that crazy sinful things anymore, it's a little harder to assess. But God still wants you to possess virtue in increasing, increasing measure. Knowledge. Have you grown in knowledge from last year? How many of you guys in here, you read Besides the Bible, you read one Christian book this year. You read through the whole book. One Christian book. Okay? Keep your hands up if you read more than three books. Keep your hands up if you read more than five books. I guess like three is the number here. How about more than ten books? You read more than ten Christian books. Uh, Brady and Chris, all right, we'll, we'll make sure we'll give you a Bible study next year. <laughs> or, or, I mean, this year, which is already next year. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, we need to continually increase the knowledge. And I, I don't mean it in a Western way, but you know, in the knowledge of God. You know, stewarding the mysteries of God. The knowledge of God goes deep. It's not just doctrine and dogma. You know, that's just the basics. And then you got to go deep into his revelation. And God wants you to increase the knowledge of God. But you know what? Here today. Oh, by the way, Jesus indicted the church of Laodicea and called them wretched, poor, and blind. Right? We don't ever want to hear from the words of Jesus. You are, you are blind. You know, if you don't ever want to hear it as a church, we want to be a church that sees. Amen? We want to have correct understanding. We want to have 2020 clarity about what God is doing in this house and in the world around us. And that's what it means to have the spirit of the sons of Issachar. To understand the times and seasons in which we live. But today here, I want to focus on the sixth quality here. Okay? It says in the uh, ESV, it says... Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. All right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me go back here to verse, verse uh, 8. Read verse 8 with me. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if we're entering into the year of increase and we want to see an increase in effectiveness in ministry, we want to see an increase in influence here in the city, we want to see an increase in numbers, fruitfulness here for our church, then what the Bible is exhorting us to do is then we must possess these qualities in increasing measure. You see everybody else increase if you fail to increase in these seven qualities. And today I want to focus on the sixth quality, which is here called brotherly affection. But did you know that in the Greek, the word here is Philadelphia? Everybody say Philadelphia. Philadelphia means brother. Well, in the English translations, it's usually translated brotherly love, brotherly kindness, or brotherly affection. Turn to your neighbor. Say, um, <laughs> "Let us increase in Philadelphia." Increase in Philadelphia. Some brotherly love. You need some brotherly love. Now, our church is called New Philadelphia. All right, and I thought one day I would finally preach on the big word that is in our name and preach on what that means philadelphia means brotherly love kindness affection now the the verb for philadelphia is phileo which means it can be translated as to love to approve of to like right i mean god calls us to love our enemies but in the greek that word love is agape agapeo okay agape is the greek word for love that is sacrificial it's the unconditional, sacrificial love of God. And God wants us to love our neighbor. Love God. That's agapeo. With all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Agapeo, your neighbor. And then Jesus takes it further and says, you got to love your enemies. Back in the day, you, you have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But no, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. That's agapeo. But here's the thing. You know, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of uh, sermons on these three, three words, three Greek words for love. There are three main Greek words for love. All right, the verbs agapeo, agape, phileo, and eros. Okay? And uh, uh, like I already explained, agape is the sacrificial love. Phileo is like the brotherly affection, brotherly kind of love. And eros is uh, like a physical attraction love. Hey, which is, hey, which is not dirty. All right? Between a husband and a wife, you need some eros. If you don't have eros, you're in trouble. If all, the entire time... You feel like all you're doing is agapeo loving your uh, wife or you're loving your husband. It's going to feel like a chore because you're constantly having to make a sacrifice. You know, phileo is more, it can be translated, uh, the English word to like. You know, God says love your enemies, agapeo your enemies. It doesn't say you got to like your enemies. Because whenever you like something, usually there needs, like somebody, there needs to be some kind of mutual Affection going on, you know, 
And in your marriage, man, you, you need all three. You need some eros, you need some phileo, you need some agapeo. Okay? Now, this past Thursday, Pastors John and Anita, they got married. All right? Now they are experiencing all three kinds of love. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Pastor Jonathan had a lot of steadfastness and perseverance and godliness and self-control. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, man, I, I mean, I, I got to commend them, all right? Let's just commend them. Right? If it isn't, then we don't mention it. But if it is, we should commend them, right? They were both virgins when they got married. That's awesome. I was a virgin when I got married. That's awesome too. (laughs) Western culture might make fun of you for it and make a movie 40-year-old virgin. But hey... If that 40-year-old virgin is exercising godly self-control, man, God's not making fun of that person. That's a good thing. Where am I going with this? Yeah, three types of love. They're enjoying all three types of love. Praise the Lord. And when I was growing up hearing all these messages about agape, phileo, and eros, I was always taught that, you know, agape is the supreme form of love. Because why? You know, even in the uh, story between Jesus and Peter, if you read the Greek, you never pick this up in the English. In the Greek, Jesus says to Peter after the resurrection, he comes up to Peter and says, Simon, son of Peter. I mean, Peter, what, what, son of Simon. Yeah. Peter, hey, do you love me? He actually says, do you agapeo me? And then Peter answers, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I... Phileo you. Now, Peter wasn't picking up the difference. So Jesus said it again. Do you agapeo me? And Peter says, you know, Jesus, I phileo you. Come on, you know that I phileo you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then the third time, Jesus finally just says, well, Simon Peter, do you just, do you phileo me? And Jesus says, yeah, Jesus, you know And he was hurt. He kept asking. But the first two times, Peter didn't pick up the fact that Jesus was actually saying agapeo. Actually, it might have even been the third time. Uh, I just read it, but I I just kind of forgot. But in in the English, we never pick that up, right? And so we always get taught growing up that agape is the ultimate form of love. And that's the only form of love that we need. So nobody ever preaches on Philadelphia. But that's not... A balanced view. Because the Bible talks about the phileo love that brothers and sisters in the body of Christ alone can enjoy and find its fulfillment in. The Philadelphia love that exists in the church, we want that to increase this year. I'm going to read an excerpt here from the Encyclopedia, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, this is real cool. Since God is father and men are his sons, they are therefore brethren of one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are my brother, you are my sister. sister. 
It says here, as sonship is the most essential factor in man's right relation to God, so is brotherhood in his relation to his fellow man. Man's sonship to God may be potential or actual. Because people, when they hear the gospel, they may respond to God's love and know his fatherhood. Or they may not. Likewise, love to man may or may not be reciprocated and therefore may be incomplete. Yet within the body of Christ, it is the Christian's duty, like God, to maintain his disposition of love and benevolence to those that hate and curse him. But within the Christian community, love should respond to love and find its fulfillment. For there all men are and should be God's sons, actually. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given unto us. And this mutual love within the Christian brotherhood is called Philadelphia. Okay, What, what this thing is saying is, when you agapeo your enemies... It may or may not find this reciprocation and fulfillment. Because you may love your enemy and they may come to Christ. You may love your enemy, you may win them over. But you may love your enemy and bless them and they can go to hell. Because the Bible says, take not vengeance. It is the Lord's to repay. So when you, when you actually do good to your enemies, if you're really smart and you want to get your enemies... The Bible actually teaches us, be good to them. It's like heaping coals upon, burning coals upon them. So it's like, you know, somebody does you wrong. You stole my money. You stole my family's money. You know what? I'm going to get you by being good to you. (laughs) I'm serious. And and God doesn't have a plan for them to to get saved or for them to come to Christ, whatever. You're burning, you're heaping burning coals on them. That's the best way, the Bible says, is to get revenge on somebody, is to not do revenge. Let God do it. If you do it, it'll only go so far. But when God does it, oh, it's going to be complete. When God's gangster. But when you agapeo your enemies, it may or may not find its fulfillment. But within the Christian community, we have good news. When we phileo each other with brotherly affection, with Philadelphia love, when we phileo each other in the body of Christ, we can indeed find its fulfillment. Not only find its fulfillment, but it it will just increase and increase and increase. And the more that we increase in Philadelphia for one another here in this church community, the more fruitful we are. That's what this passage says. When you possess these qualities in increasing measure, then it will keep you from being ineffective. It will keep you from being unfruitful. You know, if, if you don't increase in these things, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to be fruitful. But, you know, uh, I forget somebody gave me that analogy. When in marriage, you know, when two people have sex, it's, it's symbolic of intimacy when there is great intimacy, there comes forth new life. So intimacy produces uh, fruit. It produces new life. You know? And so here in the body of Christ, the more intimacy, the more Philadelphia increases here in our church community, the more fruitful we're going to be. So here's what I'm proposing to you this year. 
Okay? Once again, we don't need to go and do a big, huge crusade. We don't have to go out and evangelize five days a week. Those things might help us. But what we need to focus on at this hour is, if all we do is increase in these qualities, one of them being the big one, the Philadelphia love that we can have for each other, Busan Church Plant, when you go down, all you do, uh, actually, don't evangelize. That's, I got a prophecy the other day. The Lord put it on my heart, don't evangelize for the first couple months. And I know Roy and Mina, they're, they're eager to go out and evangelize because they love evangelizing. But uh, don't evangelize. Focus instead on building the unity of the team and, and growing the Philadelphia of the team. Because that's what John Michael did, actually, with the Itaewon Church Plant. You know, and we made sure that the E101 church plant team, and even with that, the team struggled. If you guys are united, and that's why we're not letting you go on mission trips. They're not permitted to go on mission trips for the first year and maybe even the second year. We'll see. Because we want you guys to really build up a team unity and grow in brotherly affection and love toward one another. And when you do so, you will be indeed effective and fruitful for the kingdom of God. Uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. First Thessalonians 4, 9 to 10. Thessalonians can be found after God eats potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, real easy to remember. All right, then it's first and second Thessalonians. I had to memorize the entire books of the Bible in order last semester, and I did it. And I got bonus credits on every quiz that I took because I got them all, except one time, no, twice. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's look at uh, first Thessalonians 4 9 to 10. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, here it translates it brotherly love. When there's no other English word for love competing in the same sentence, usually the Bible translators will translate Philadelphia as brotherly love. Okay? Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Everybody say more and more. more, and more. In the NASB it says to excel still more. In what? In just Bible study? In prayer meetings? No, it says to excel still more, to do more and more in brotherly love. In Philadelphia. Everyone say Philadelphia again. Philadelphia. Turn to Romans 12, 9 to 10. Romans 12, 9 to 10. It says in the ESV, Romans 12, verse 9. Let love, there is the word agape. Let agape be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Some translations will say brotherly kindness, brotherly love. And that's the Greek word Philadelphia. 
Love one another with Philadelphia. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Love one another. In the NIV, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another. Everyone say, be devoted. Be devoted devoted to one another in brotherly love. I love the ESV here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, what does Philadelphia look like? What does it mean to love each other with brotherly love? Well, first of all, first of all, I like the word like. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, I think I like you. You know, how many of you guys know that God loves you? How many of you guys know God loves me? Okay, and most of the time I grew up thinking, I know, I know, God loves me. Right? You know, you know the high school mentality when you're in youth group? Yeah, yeah, I know God loves me. Why, why, why do we act like that? Why? Because most of the time it's not exciting. Why? Because it's the agapeo. Now, agapeo love is exciting when you get deep into the theology of it and deep into what it costs Jesus to get, get us that agapeo love. But once you kind of know it, it's kind of flat. It's sort of like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. He, he loves me. You know? He sacrificed his son for me. But did you know that the New Testament also uses the word phileo when it talks about God loving you? What does that mean? That's good news. That means God not only loves you because he has to, because he chose you, and he sent his son, and now, now it's just, you know, it's like a formula, and he can't get away from it. Ah, man, I have to love him now, because he, he accepted my son. No, it's not like that. It's not just like that. It actually says, God loves you, meaning, phileos you. That means, God likes you. God likes you. Religion never teaches this, I noticed. Denominational churches I've grown up never teaches this. Why? Because they don't ever want you to lose sight of the fact that your primary identity is a sinner. So they want you to constantly repent of your sin every week, feel bad about yourself, and they think feeling bad about yourself will help you to appreciate the cross more and therefore help you to live a holy life. And it's all formulaic like that. Where's the Holy Spirit in all of that? But we all know that doesn't always work. Religion doesn't produce. It can produce godly behavior, but it cannot produce a godly heart. It cannot produce true godliness. What did the Pharisees struggle with? They had the appearance of godliness, but denied the power of God. They, they, they had the outer appearance. They will fast. They will pray. They will give. They will tithe. Look at me. I'm godly. Look, I'm a Pharisee. I'm godly. Ha, I'm godly. Look, everyone. They had the appearance of it but not the substance of it. Their hearts were not turned toward God. Why? Because you need the Spirit of God to write the Word of God on your heart for Him to give you new affections, 
for him to pour out his grace upon you for you to really walk in his ways. Religion hates to preach that God likes you. But the word of God makes it clear. God phileos you. He likes your style. He likes your quirkiness. Sometimes you need the phileo love of God's revelation to get a person to receive the agape love of God's revelation. Sometimes we Christians, we need a revelation of the Philadelphia love of God. A lot of times it's just sort of this Christian duty. I got to do it because I'm a Christian. I got to do my quiet time. How about this? This is a, you know, and by the way, I'm not legalistic about quiet time. I, I, I submit to the wisdom that we should do it daily. Like, you know, somebody says it's like an orchestra. You don't tune your instrument at the end of the concert. You do it at the beginning. So they use that as an analogy for you should have your quiet time in the morning. Okay. Well, I try to have my quiet time in the morning and I can't stay awake. All right. So let me do it at night. Okay. But uh, even when I do it at night, you know, there, there, there are times, man, let me just admit to you as a pastor of the house. You know, there are days I don't do it. And, and back, wow, that's crazy, right? <laughs> and back when I was growing up in New York City, you know, I was constantly hearing the same sermon. You know the same sermon was? Do your quiet time. You go to a retreat, do your quiet time. Here's the answer to your Christian life. Do your quiet time. Where's the revelation? Where's the mysteries? Where's the wisdom? Because they were all just downloading the same sermon off the internet. I don't know. It was do your quiet time. But here's the thing, man. Quiet time is good. It's a good discipline. You need to get it on you. It's not the cure-all. Sometimes what you need to drive you to your quiet time is not more cause to discipline. It is a revelation of his love. You know the times where I couldn't resist but have my quiet time every day? There are the seasons in my life where I got a fresh revelation of his love. When you understand that God likes you, you can't wait to go and have your quiet time. You don't do your quiet time. You have your quiet time. It's not out of duty. It's out of devotion. You begin to understand, man. You know, one time my friend uh, Hannah, she prophesied over me. Right? That's the first time I I got a a revelation. Well, actually, no. I got it through Brother Michael as well. But she's the one who actually said it. She was like... She was like prophesying all this stuff. And she goes, Christian, um, I just hear God laughing. Because God just likes you. I'm like, really? (laughs) God likes you. He likes like your ghetto black humor. I was like, really? And I I know young people like that. But does God like that? Does God think I'm fake? Does he think I'm being like, you know, like a wannabe black person? You know, like a lot of people make fun of me as, you know. And then and she was like, no, nah, God really likes you. He, he just, he laughs when he sees you throughout the day. He thinks you're funny. I'm like, what? Doesn't God know all things? How can he laugh? How can God ever laugh at anything? But man, the, the, the doctrine of divine condescension, you know. 
God just gets in with us. And he just looks at you and he's just like, <laughs> I like you, Peter. I really do. When you get out that crazy violin bow and, violin bow and you start strumming your electric guitar, <laughs> it's crazy. I like that. I like that. God phileos you as well as he supremely agapeos you. And Jesus actually uses that in the Gospel of John. You know, you have phileoed me as I phileoed them. Agape is not the only word for love that's used, is what I'm saying, when God talks about his love relationship with us. As you get a revelation of how much he loves you, he phileos you, check this out. Let us increase in phileo for each other. Let's love each other. Let's like each other. You, know, you can't really like them until you get to know them. You can't really like them. On, you, know, you can't really get to the gold unless you're willing to dig through some rocks. You know what I mean? When people first meet me, Complete stranger, they're not going to like me. Actually, a lot of them do. You're right, Brady. <laughs> but sometimes they don't like me, you know. And they have to dig through the rocks for them to get and see the gold. And they go, wow, I like this man. You know, if you, if you first meet a person and you say, oh, I love that guy. I like that guy, right? Don't, don't, women, women of God, don't ever make a decision for marriage based on your first impression. That don't needs to be tested. Because not only did you see a little bit of gold, there's going to be a lot of dirt. And you got to be willing to deal with the dirt for you to get to more gold. You know what I mean? That's what marriage is all about. Marriage is like gold mining. <laughs> On certain days, all you see is dirt. You just get covered in dirt and you're just like, man, you have so much dirt. And then there are other days when you just go, oh, snap. Man, that gold is beautiful. What an amazing person I've married. I really like this person. And I'm glad this person likes me back. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes.